Now, analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. It is an overcast day here in Kamloops. Maybe seeing some more rain. Uh, pretty perfect day to sit around and cozy up to the speaker and listen to some good radio. we got a packed show for you. We're going to have an elongated conversation with BC's Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth discussing a number of important issues. Uh, we'll also finish up the show talking to Porco Quitlam Mayor Brad West, who's been an outspoken uh, critic on the money laundering front, get his sense of the latest developments and what to do about it. First up, though, as we do every single Wednesday, a real pleasure to welcome to the mayor of Kamloops to the studio, Ken Christian. Good morning. And it's my pleasure to be here, Shane. Uh, I notice you're wearing a, a basketball tie on. Is that is there some significance to that? or? Well, I guess celebrating the end of the season or maybe uh, lamenting the end of the season, I suppose. How was your March Madness brackets? You know, uh, I didn't win, but I beat David Trowin, which was the real important thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, I want to build off something you and I talked about last week. Uh, on this show, you discussed how concerned you were about the overdose crisis with the influx of carfentanil. Uh, we had a chance yesterday at Council to get a pretty good briefing from Interior Health and for, for you and councillors to kind of air your concerns and get a sense of, of what we're doing out there. Um, you called for a paradigm shift on this show, um, more hydromorphone dispensement, uh, an increase in beds, treatment, uh, new ways to get addicts out of that lifestyle and try and reduce the amount of deaths. So I guess first question to you, with a chance to, to put questions to Interior Health directly in Council yesterday, did you get anything back that felt that addressed your concerns? You know, it was a real somber presentation. I think all of council was quite exhausted after, uh, you know, hearing from Dr. Golhamadi and, and uh, Deborah Morris uh, about just really the state of the epidemic on the streets of Kamloops. And as we've talked about before, 48 people lost their lives last year. The interesting thing was that, you know, it's not uh, the homeless that people would generally think that are dying, but these are, uh, for the most part, men between the ages of uh, 30 and 39 that are dying actually in uh, homes and uh, uh, often tradespeople. So, uh, you know, we talked uh, a bit about uh, certainly some of the preventive messaging should really be focused at uh, trades training schools and, uh, you know, in construction uh, workplaces uh, so that they can focus there. But uh, the issue is in and around the uh, secretive nature of, of drug use and this uh, you know, messaging about don't use alone and come down to a bus really doesn't connect with that particular group of people. And so it's time that they looked at a different way of thinking about how we can stem this terrible uh, loss of life that we have here. So we talked about uh, uh, opioid antagonist therapies, uh, and certainly Dr. Golhamadi is uh, experimenting with some of that uh, in Kelowna. Uh, it's difficult because you, you need a dispensing pharmacist. You need uh, medical professionals there to uh, operate those kinds of uh, clinics and uh, those kinds of uh, trained professionals really aren't that readily available just yet. But uh, I think, uh, you know, this uh, epidemic is just getting bigger and bigger since uh, April of uh, 2016 when fentanyl really arrived in yeah. our city. So, you know, they have to do something different. Uh, this notion of uh, uh, the harm reduction techniques from the early 1990s that were predicated in and around uh, bloodborne disease prevention really are missing the mark. 
So you get a sense that they are going to go down this path. They're looking at this. I do. I okay. think certainly in Kelowna and Kamloops, uh, you know, where they really see uh, a, a huge number of fatalities. I believe there were 75 in Kelowna and 50 here, uh, you know, for uh, the sake of argument. Uh, those are the places, the hot spots. And if you can make a difference here, you should be able to push that out across the interior health uh, network. Now we have 40 uh, care beds. Uh, for addicts, uh, for treatment to get people off the street and out of that lifestyle. But uh, as Sadie Hunter pointed out earlier this morning uh, on our morning show, uh, those beds are open to outside people as well. So at any given moment, we don't know how many of those are taken up, uh, reducing the number for for local need. Uh, And then the other curve in that road is there's not a lot of youth-specific beds. So the youth homelessness, uh, youth drug use is a whole other chapter, and that's a whole other subset of this thing. Do we need to, uh, and you said last week, Want to increase capacity? So, do we need to do that? Do we need is forty enough, Ken? Do we need more than that? What's your take? No, forty is not enough. And you know, I think the real message here, and, and Councillor Hunter is spot on. You know, in terms of her concerns, uh, we need to have uh, beds available when people are uh, ready to seek treatment, and, and it, that's that sweet spot in terms of timing. Uh, and uh, you have to be able to accommodate them when they make that decision to leave that uh, lifestyle. So, uh, the female Center and the mustard seed uh, are in that business, but uh, you know these shouldn't be double rooms; they should be single rooms. So the number of beds really isn't necessarily the amount of treatable space. Uh, plus the fact we have uh, patients in those facilities from as far away as Princeton and 100 Mile House and, and all over this region. So uh, there is a waiting list, and when you have someone that's just hit bottom and they're ready to have treatment, and you don't provide that, where do they turn? They turn back to the street and so you know we're we're kind of reaping what we're sowing in terms of the uh, availability of treatment beds as well as wraparound services we had a discussion about you know the timing of uh, you know street nurse and and wraparound services with some of our uh, partners here and uh, you know this is not a nine to five Monday to Friday epidemic and uh, if we can uh, inform our staffing by studying the needs of the clients that we're serving I think we can better deploy staff to uh, be there when they're needed. Uh, some other issues, uh, we brought it up last week, but there's been some development since. Uh, so we've learned as of yesterday morning uh, that some of the land title records have already been removed from Kamloops. Apparently these are duplicates. We're not sure if what's being taken is the original or the copy. Uh, so to you, A, number one, is this frustrating? And number two, have you heard anything from the authority, the registrar, that would uh, address your concern on, on not being consulted about this yet? Yeah, uh, on the strength of uh, Councillor O'Reilly's motion last week, uh, we wrote to uh, Minister Donaldson, we wrote to the CEO as well, uh, we wrote to uh, Kukpi Roseanne Kazmir at, at the Tecumlips to Shekwepmik, uh, just to uh, advise them of our concern and seek a meeting uh, to have the opportunity to be consulted uh, over whatever is happening there. And I've heard rumors back and forth that it's copies being moved and it's real documents being moved and half of them are being moved. I don't know what's going on, quite Mm. frankly, and uh, I would think uh, there would be a a courtesy to the municipality that they would uh, extend uh, an offer to meet with us and and talk about that. Okay, so so far that hasn't happened. Uh, I know talking to uh, Whispering Pines Chief Mike Laborde yesterday that uh, they are now discussing among First Nations communities going to court to a judge to seek a cease and desist order. Uh, 
would the city be willing to support them in that? Is that too far? Is that not far enough? What's your take? No, I, we don't generally seek uh, cease and desist orders on matters outside of our purview. We're dealing with your tax dollars and mine. So, uh, you know, uh, the First Nations have a, a, a number of issues related to the Douglas land claim, and it's obviously quite important to their uh, court activities. Uh, insofar as the city of Kamloops, what my primary concern is, is in and around jobs, particularly those in the private sector that uh, work around the title's office. Um, the idea has been floated out in the community about uh, taking advantage of the Performing Arts Centre idea. And, of course, we're waiting for next steps as far as the city's overall downtown strategic plan and where uh, that path takes us on the pack front. But uh, Tourism Kamloops is pushing the idea of piggybacking on top of that uh, some convention centre space. Uh, does that seem like a good idea to you or no? Uh, you know, I, I spoke with Bev DeSantis about this uh, matter last week and uh, you know I don't think the city has a role to play in building convention centers I think uh, if you look at the example of Penticton uh, you know it's a big drain on their uh, uh, revenue down there and and it costs the taxpayers an awful lot of money to run it uh, I believe that uh, places like uh, the uh, Coast Hotel that have a convention center in the private sector are really uh, where that business should be and uh, they can uh, leverage both the meal preparation and liquor service and rooms and all of that with it. So I was up there yesterday actually for a convention uh, to open it. There was uh, about 500 delegates and I think 73 exhibitors. What I said to Ms. DeSantis is that we have to get away from this notion that we're looking for 5,000 delegate conventions. Those are going to go to the large cities. What we need is five small conventions in Kamloops and, and uh, those can be equally lucrative for our hospitality and tourism industries here, and they're uh, much easier to accommodate within the existing infrastructure that we have to provide. So, uh, you know, I think somewhere down the road there should be a civic center, uh, but uh, in this particular case, uh, we need to focus on the Performing Arts Center, and and uh, we have uh, talked about uh, the lack of uh, space for emerging artists within our community, dancers, musicians, the, the whole gamut. Uh, so we need to be able to foster that. And at the same time, we need to have a venue that is going to provide us with marquee acts that would come through Kamloops so that that, in turn, drives a lot of the art tourism that's out there. So, you know, I think that it's it's a good notion. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, I think we have a 70 million dollar project and uh, I, I'm worried about the threshold that the taxpayers are willing to go. I think that I've heard a lot of support right now for what we've got and if we start to drive that to 80 or 90 million we could be back at where we were uh, in 2015. All right. A final issue and it's one that uh, I, I think is pretty important and that's wildfire smoke. Uh, as I mentioned to you off there, it's, it's something that we seem to not be paying enough attention to. The the general knowledge was, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not you know, full time. It's just a little period of the year that we're breathing this smoke in. We get some fresh air, cleans out our system. Uh, we're learning more and more about wildfire smoke. It's responsible for a number of deaths in the United States, uh, not to mention globally. Uh, it's a potpourri of toxic chemicals and smoke. Uh, it socks the city in now for two summers running. Hopefully not this summer, but maybe this is the way it is. We don't know yet. Uh, so to you, are we taking the issue seriously enough? And if we are going to take it seriously, what role, if any, does the city play in trying to help out or provide solutions? Uh, when, you know, the smoke is in and, and the air quality has gone to crap. 
Yeah, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, smoke is a health hazard, and and uh, there's no uh, question about that. And uh, you're quite right in terms of the uh, chemical composition of smoke and and the health effects thereof. The question really is, what do you do about it? Because this is a natural phenomenon for the most part. So uh, obviously, banning fires would be a good thing to do, but uh, uh, forest fires don't often uh, hear, heed that advice. So uh, this notion of shelter in place is probably the best advice that you can offer uh, and uh, we look at the advice from public health officials on that you know uh, this notion of evacuating because of smoke is really a poor idea uh, i think uh, when you look at some of the frail uh, and chronic uh, populations that we have that <clears throat> excuse me you're going to find people that are going to suffer from the evacuation <clears throat> excuse me and so you really want to make sure that uh, you're uh, giving those populations refuge from the smoke. And so advice like uh, don't decide to, uh, you know, continue your training for your 10K just because <laughs> you're in a, in a schedule. Yeah. Uh, when the uh, advice from the air quality meteorologist says that this is a poor air quality day, those are days to, uh, you know, take your exercise regime indoors to uh, find places uh, that have uh, air conditioned and filtered air and uh, stay out of the smoke as much as you possibly can. But is there or will there be an increasing, again, if this is a yearly thing, will there be an increasing responsibility from the city to provide clean air space, whether it's the TCC or, or buildings like that, that can just take people in and say, okay, come and hang out and take some refuge from the smoke? Well, in, in fact, we have done that. Uh, we've done that for uh, both escaping the heat as, as well as escaping the, the smoke. Uh, to date, we've never been over capacity when we've offered that. Uh, so I think what a lot of people do is they just kind of hunker down during those those very bad days. And uh, This was a topic I addressed up at uh, the Mayor's Caucus in Prince George a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, those mayors from the communities up there really had a bad yeah. season. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, quite sensitive to uh, smoke issues and, and uh, then the, the uh, obvious threat of fire that follows it. So, you know, these are important uh, issues, but in terms of the population, you know, unless you're going to move to Saskatchewan, which I don't recommend, uh, I would think that, you know, you're going to have to be prepared for that here. Uh, there are some masks that can be used, but by and large, I think if you're reasonable about, you know, staying away from exerting yourselves outdoors during bad air days, that that's the best advice. I can offer. Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Shane. That's Camelot's Mayor Ken Christian. On the other side of our break, we're going to talk to BC's Public Safety Minister, Mike Farnworth. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Well, BC's Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth has been in the news a lot over the last few weeks for a number of issues. Most recently yesterday, uh, when his government tabled legislation that looks to regulate live event ticket sales, something I think everybody in the province is pretty interested in, uh, who's been frustrated about grabbing the ticket to their, their band of choice or, or what have you. Pleasure to welcome the program, BC's Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. First and foremost, uh, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your morning to chat. Really appreciate that. 
Yeah, no trouble. Uh, okay, so yesterday, uh, you've been in the news a lot lately, but yesterday the news was uh, this uh, this legislation that uh, looks to regulate uh, live event ticket sales. Uh, I think that's going to come as welcome news to just about everybody in the province who has been super frustrated dealing with Ticketmaster and all the other sort of uh, you know ticket sales providers out there and all the stuff that comes with that. Um, now, I don't want to dive too deep into this because I know you covered a lot of it with Brett Manier yesterday, but uh, some of the questions I had is... Uh, uh, yes, great. Let's crack down on those bots that, that snap up a, a large chunk of tickets and then you know screw people on the resale side. But um, what do you do if those bots are out of province? I, I assume there's a, some amount of control here. You just have to cede. Yeah, and and well, actually, the reality is, is the technology is changing, and so the ticket sellers are 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 able, more able now, to be able to say, oh, uh, there's bots at work here, and so now the requirement is is that they cancel tickets that have been purchased by bots. So it's not a question of going after the individual that, that's out of out of province because that is, you know, that's a that's not the, an easy thing to do, but rather it's being able to cancel the transaction, and so those tickets are canceled. Uh, and uh, and that's the the advantage, and that's the the big improvement uh, in the prohibition on bots, uh, particularly as it relates to bots outside of uh, of of British Columbia, but also with bots that are located within BC. And in that regard, the uh, legislation allows uh, for civil action to be taken as well. Uh, the legislation would establish sort of a regulatory framework to give greater transparency and accountability on ticket sales. Again, uh, obviously on the surface, welcome news, but uh, what does that physically look like? How, how do you do that? Well, what it means is, is that uh, ticket sellers are going to be required to disclose, you know, the face value of the ticket, uh, all the charges and fees, uh, the seat location, uh, terms and conditions. They've got to be in a clear, um, you know, comprehensible uh, comprehensible manner. Um, and uh, that will be a um, you know a, a, a big improvement. Um, we're also saying that tickets have to be offered uh, like primary sellers can't divert tickets. So let's say they have a block of five thousand tickets, and they can't say, okay, we're only going to put a thousand on the primary market on you know on, on their on their website, and then divert the rest of them to the secondary to their secondary seller for you know at, a, at an increased rate. They have to put all their tickets uh, on the primary market at face value. Now, the legislation didn't go as far, Mike, as, as actually capping resale ticket prices. I assume to some extent that activity will continue. Uh, why not go down that path? Um, we looked at what other jurisdictions have done, and literally everyone, um, and you know, not just in North America, but we looked also what they're, they're doing in the UK has been an issue there. And nobody's gone down that road because it just, the reality is, how do you enforce it? Um, it's, you know, we wanted to putting forward a piece of legislation that will work, uh, and, you know, show people that, yeah, uh, there's greater transparency, but I didn't want le- legislation that kind of gives a false hope of saying, oh, we, we're, we're going to do something that everywhere else has looked at and has come to the conclusion that it's not going to work. Um, and so that's why it's not there. Now, obviously, welcome news again, but you tabled it yesterday for first reading. Uh, ideally, if this goes the process and uh, becomes law, uh, when would it take effect out there in the real world and people would begin to see some of these changes? My expectation is is through the summer. Um, so the bill's been uh, tabled yesterday. It uh, gets debated. The House, uh, the legislature will sit until the end of, of May. And so uh, my expectation is that the bill will be passed by the end of May, given royal assent, uh, and then that means it comes into force. 
and then of course over the summer you know you're doing regulations and things like that and and implementation so over the summer i think uh is a is a pretty safe timeline okay mike hold that thought we're going to continue our discussion with bc's public safety minister mike farnworth turning our attention to money laundering matters and more right after this break to the bottom of the hour now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. We are talking to BC's Public Safety Minister, Mike Farnworth, uh, a few minutes ago discussing issues around uh, regulating live event ticket sales, turning our attention to other things now. On the money laundering front, uh, the second phase of the Peter German report uh, making headlines uh, for finding no federally funded policing resources in BC to deal with this really massive problem. Uh, you're BC's top cop, as, as wearing the Solicitor General hat as well. Um, was that part of the report a surprise to you, or, or did you already know that? It's something that we have been aware of, uh, and in fact have been raising uh, with uh, the federal with the federal government, uh, the federal minister uh, Bill Blair, uh, for some time now. Uh, that uh, there needs to be a greater focus uh, by the federal government uh, at the national level on issues of money laundering, um, and that uh, you know they need to get on with it. If this has been something you guys have been working on, uh, and it's obviously a, a point of contention or frustration, uh, have you heard anything back from Mr. Blair or the federal government to indicate that they will address it to date or no? I, I'm, uh, I'm cautiously encouraged by uh, <clears throat> the response we've heard from, uh, from uh, Minister Blair. I mean, he has uh, reached out and met with uh, the Attorney General. He's also met with me. Uh, and uh, he's made it clear that he does see this uh, as an issue that they've got to that they've got to deal with. I know that you've created uh, separate authorities uh, on the marijuana front, for example, uh, on nuisance housing, which you made news with last week. Um, if there's frustration with what Ottawa is doing or or not doing, or the slow pace at which they're doing it, um, Mike, is it is it time to take matters into our own hands? Is there any thought to establishing a provincial force or authority or some kind of task force to deal specifically with money laundering, or is that off the table? I mean, I think right now we're working with the federal government, uh, and I'm, you know, I've seen, uh, I'm pleased with the cooperation that I have seen uh, from from the feds. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to do, and we're doing what what we can as a province. Um, you know, the attorney general I think has been very active on the money laundering front, and is no doubt going to continue to be so. We've got the German report. This first little bit is out. Um, there will be, you know, the the, the whole report is is still yet to come. Um, so I think it's it's a combination of, of what we can do here in BC, um, which we are moving in a number of areas, and at the same time with the federal government, you know, who does have responsibility in a number of these areas to to, to keep that pressure on and to say, look, this is serious, and uh, BC is very concerned about it, and you know it affects the whole country, not just our province, and you've got to you, you you've got to get uh, be far more involved than uh, than you have been in the past. Uh, speaking of uh, separate authorities, uh, I mentioned the marijuana enforcement units. Uh, I'm not sure what their current status is. The last time I checked, they hadn't been deployed yet. Uh, are they up and up and running now, Mike, or is there still some issues there? No, uh, they have started up and running. Um, I can tell you that uh, they are um, uh, starting to go out into communities um, and uh, starting to get the word out that they are in fact around and that they are they are up and running. 
So their their focus is to shut down some of the gray market operations, the, the illegal ones. Uh, not so much a problem anymore here in Kamloops, but I understand in, in probably more Metro Vancouver than anywhere else uh, that it's still an issue. Uh, how active will they be now in, in shutting down illegal operations? I think right now what they've been doing is uh, what you could call education uh, and uh, visiting, um, you know, um, um, illegal illegal operations, uh, letting them know they're up and running. And as I said previously, as more stores come online, they're going to be ramping up. Uh, but they are now uh, up and running, and they are out uh, starting to do the work that they need to be doing. How many people roughly in that unit, Mike? Uh, when it's up full strength, uh, we're looking about uh, 44 uh, throughout the province. Okay. How far are you from full strength right now? Um, I'd have to get you um, exact numbers, uh, but what I can tell you is that we're at enough of a strength in terms of people uh, trained uh, and and the uh, the structure in place that they're able to, to actually now be out um, in in communities and uh, starting to have a, a visible profile. Okay, fair enough. Uh, speaking of marijuana, you addressed this to, to some extent in your presser on Friday. We just wanted to follow up. Uh, there's been some frustration out there about the time it's taking to get licenses approved. Uh, the first private store in the entire province was here in Kamloops. That was a six-month wait. Uh, I assume that the wait is growing for others in the queue. Uh, to some extent, these people are, are forking out leases and other things and, and want to see some money start flowing back in. Uh, do you have anything to offer those people right now as far as, okay, where well, this process is, is working, we're going to get those licenses dealt with, or it just is what it is at the moment? Um a lot, we're actually seeing a significant increase in the number of approvals that are coming through now from, from local governments. I think local governments that really are uh, into, uh, into uh, the full swing of dealing with uh, cannabis retail outlets uh, in different communities right across the province. Um, so I'm encouraged. I'm really I'm pleased to see that. Um, at the same time, you know, the, uh, one of the key issues has always been that there will be thorough background checks. And I do know that a lot of applications that we, we've received uh, require, um, you know, uh, a deeper dive in terms of, the, of who's actually um, behind the, the application and the issues of financial integrity and all of, all of those kinds of things. And yet it's time consuming, but it's also for a very good reason, which is to keep uh, the criminal, uh, criminal uh, elements uh, out. And in, in my mind, it is, it is, is proof that, that that aspect is, in fact, working. Having said that, um, I expect you're going to see um, more and more stores opening up uh, in, the, uh, in the coming months as, uh, as local government has, has, uh, is approving them now at a much higher rate uh, than we've seen in the past. I was just looking at stats this morning. So in Calgary, they have more legal pot shops than than our entire province. And Alberta, matter of fact, is is doing a pretty good job getting marijuana out the door. Two hundred and sixteen million dollars in legal cannabis sales in Alberta last year. That compares to BC's nineteen million. Is, is that something that concerns you or or, or not? Um, we've. We have a, a very different situation than Alberta, uh, and I, in fact, was reading a report today out of the States that, that was acknowledging just that very thing, that uh, British Columbia is, is quite different than other jurisdictions. In many ways, it's quite similar to California, where you had a very well-established, um, you know, illegal market, uh, production market um, 
beforehand. And so it has always been recognized that going from, uh, uh, you know, the legalization of cannabis, going from the illegal market in this province to a legal market was going to take time, and it was going to be different than uh, than other provinces that, quite frankly, uh, let's put it this way, did anybody ever hear of the term Alberta bud? No. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's more of a challenge here in BC, but it's one that I'm confident that the public that the policies that we have put in place are going to get us to where we need to be. It will take uh, a bit of time, but we've always been clear about that. All right. Last question, uh, and one to do with sort of the jail system. Uh, a story we ran here last week. Uh, Dean Purdy, who you know with the BCGU, says the officer to inmate ratio at the Kamloops jail is about 1 to 40, but as high as 1 to 72 in other jails in the province. Uh, 26 reported assaults, specifically the Kamloops Regional Correctional Center last year, and all this, and he adds that PTSD claims by officers are quote-unquote going through the roof. I know this has been an issue that's been percolating away, both from your, your time in opposition to uh, now your time as minister. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, how you'll address this? Um, we are actually working with um, corrections and the, um, the, the corrections uh, union, the BCGU, on on trying to, to, to deal with some of these issues because we are as concerned about it as, as uh, the corrections officers are concerned about it. So uh, how do you do that then, Mike? Because I know the union's pushing hard. Is it just a matter of sitting down at the table with these guys or what's the process? And it is very much, you know, uh, has been uh, sitting down with the union to identify what the problems are, what are the issues, and and how to and how and how we can uh, how we can resolve them. Uh, and some are, you know, initiatives that can be taken um, in the shorter term, and others are going to take a bit longer. There's changes coming, um, for example, um, at the national level that are filtering, not filtering, but impacting the province. So segregation, for example, there's changes in that area. But we recognize there's issues that have got to be that have got to be dealt with, uh, and we're working with the GEU on on how to how to fix them. Does it mean as simple as as more staff in your mind, Mike, or no? Um, it it varies because there are a number of issues that are being looked at, and that's what I can tell you right now. All right, fair enough. How's the transition in Surrey going, or not? Um, um, my staff are working um, with uh, their staff, and they've got to come up with the uh, a report uh, that ensures that uh, continuation of leasing uh, in Surrey. And um, I'm, you know, looking forward to receiving that report. Do you think the people of Surrey should have a say in it, Mike, or to some degree, or is this something um, just between Mr. McCallum and yourself? I mean, the, the uh, I've always said that transparency and and you can never really go wrong with uh, with public input. And I have seen, uh, you know, I think that the uh, the mayor of Surrey has indicated that he intends to uh, have some public consultation uh, on his report. And you know, I think that that's a positive that that is a positive thing at the end of the day you know um we'll have to see what the plan is that they that they come up with but i've also said that you know when that plan reaches my desk i do think that it should be public fair enough mike you've been generous with your time always a pleasure thank you sir yeah Thanks, Shane. That was BC's Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth discussing a bevy of issues with us here on The Woodford Show. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to finish up the show, continuing a discussion on money laundering. We're going to talk to the mayor of Port Coquitlam, who's been outspoken on the issue. Brad West joins us next. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. 
The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. We talked a little bit about money laundering with BC's Public Safety Minister, Mike Farnworth. Uh, there were some shocking developments on that as we got a sneak peek at at least a tiny portion of the second phase Peter German report focusing on real estate, housing, uh, horse racing, and luxury cars. It basically, uh, in that sneak peek, said uh, there is scant, if any, federally funded resources in this province to tackle a mammoth problem uh, and saying whatever resources are on the ground are outfunded and being outmaneuvered. Real pleasure to welcome to the program Brad West, who's the the mayor of Port Coquitlam, who's been rather outspoken on this issue. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Shane. And uh, by the way, congratulations on the mayorship. I don't think I've actually officially talked to you since uh, your career took this particular turn. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Okay, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you've been outspoken, uh, and I think refreshingly so, on the money laundering front. This is a problem that at every twist and turn uh, has the public going, what the hell is going on? Uh, we had the latest twist recently. Uh, there is uh, a outcry now for a public inquiry out there. We do not have a decision yet from the province, but uh, and I think we're going to have more twists and turns and a lot of them to come yet. So uh, from your perspective, uh, what do we do? Well, I think it's absolutely necessary that we move to a, a public inquiry as soon as possible, modeled after the Charbonneau Commission. And now the Charbonneau, Charbonneau Commission was a commission of inquiry that the uh, province of Quebec launched, uh, and it was launched to tackle widespread con- uh, corruption in the construction industry there. And it was extremely successful. You had people go to jail. You had people charged criminally. You had a significant amount of money recovered for taxpayers. And you actually had politicians who had to resign. Um, and you've had people who were very intimately involved in the Charbonneau Commission, prosecutors and other officials, take a look at what's been happening in British Columbia and say, that is exactly what this province needs because you're right people are are just completely fed up i i've i've told myself i'm going to stop saying i'm shocked what i am is pissed off i'm pissed off that this has been allowed to happen to this province and government has been unable or unwilling to do anything about it and we just need to put a stop to this once and for all and, and i am um, increasingly convinced that the best way to do that is through an inquiry now, the as you, I'm sure, are aware, the, the drawbacks of a public inquiry uh, put out there to date are that it's a legal morass, uh, that it can take time, everybody lawyers up, uh, lawyers make out like bandits as they do billable hours in this thing. Uh, if we're going to do a Charbonneau-style commission, how, how does that structure to escape um, the public inquiries that we've seen in the past here in BC that have dragged on and on to little or no result? Well, I think it will be absolutely essential that the government gives it the tools that it needs to succeed. If you set up an inquiry for failure, don't be surprised if it fails. And so, you know, I think it's just an absolute cop-out and a farce for government to say, oh, well, we're really concerned that uh, an inquiry could take a long time and not accomplish anything. Well, then give it the tools to make sure that doesn't happen. Give it the tools that it had in Quebec, the ability to uh, subpoena people, to compel people to testify, uh, to work uh, in partnership with prosecutors. I mean, I just think these excuses that are thrown out are just that they're excuses. They 
they aren't valid, you look at what Quebec was able to accomplish and you model something after that. Um, you know, in terms of this idea that, well, uh, an inquiry could cost uh, money. Well, yeah, it is going to cost money, but you know what else is costing money? Fentanyl pouring into this province, killing thousands of people, billions of dollars being made off of the deaths of those people by organized crime, that dirty money being laundered in casinos and real estate and causing our housing market to, to become completely detached from local economic conditions. That's costing a hell of a lot of money, too. So, you know, it, it's just all the perspective you want to take on it. So, uh, again, I think you look at what has worked well in a, a situation that has a lot of parallels to what we're experiencing in British Columbia, and I think, you know, short of someone coming up with a better suggestion, and I'm all ears, uh, short of that, to me, it's the best way to get what British Columbians want, which is to put an end to this practice and to hold people accountable, including criminally accountable, for their actions that have allowed this to take place. We had uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farmworth on a few moments ago, and I asked him straight out the question because, as you know, uh, he has launched a number of different uh, uh, special authorities within the province, one of them tackling uh, illegal marijuana stores they've deployed, looking to shut those down. He made news uh, yesterday on the civic front with a, a standalone authority, a force to deal with nuisance houses. Uh, considering the developments, the developments we've seen with the lack of policing resources uh, tackling what is a mammoth problem, I asked him if if there should be a separate task force in BC to take charge of this thing on the policing side uh, and and really dive into it and focus specifically on money laundering. He seemed to decline that idea, saying it's better to work with the federal government. Uh, your take? Well, I mean, absolutely, the federal government needs to be at the table, so I agree with him on that. But, I mean, it, it seems to me that we... we desperately need to end the figure pointing that's going between various levels of government of who's responsible for what and just get on with it. Um, you know, a task force that includes all the partners seems to make a lot of uh, sense to me. It, it was just, I mean, it was so inconceivable to, to hear the other day that there is not a single federal RCMP officer assigned to or working on this issue. I, I mean, that just, just, defies uh, logic. It, it just is absolutely maddening. I mean, you would have to be living under a rock not to know that money laundering and, and all of the consequences of it, and I just described those a minute ago, that it's not happening in Columbia. I mean, everyone and their dog knows what's going on and, and why this would have escaped the attention of the federal government is just completely inexcusable. So I think they need to be at the table for sure in a major way. They have a big role to play here, and we can't excuse them uh, from not being at the table and participating and putting an end to it. One of the things that's jumped out at me is I think is there's politically a disconnect between uh, the outrage on the ground uh, over money laundering, especially in, in places like Metro Vancouver, where we've seen uh, housing prices go through the roof, the overdose crisis, all of the you know ripple effects of money laundering that we've seen to date. And God only knows what's in uh, the second German report. We're going to see that uh, in the months to come. Uh, but politically, you're right. There's finger pointing. Uh, the BC Liberals in opposition are saying, "Well, you're in government. You deal with it now." There's accusations. David Eby's just dragging this out, much like liquor reforms under the Liberals, just you know putting it out there to avoid controversy. 
Do you think politically that, that and you've said it to some degree already, but politically, do these people, provincially, federally, uh, opposition government, do they need to be self-aware enough now to go, okay, we need to shut the hell up about this, uh, we need to demand results, and we need to be really cautious because people are genuinely outraged? Absolutely. And, you know, like, there are some things that should just not be partisan. This is not a partisan issue. Look, I I think there's plenty of blame to go around in terms of uh, who was asleep at the switch. And and I don't excuse the record of of any government, uh, current or former. But what British Columbians are sick of, in my opinion, is having every issue that is important and vital to the future of this province become a political fit football for people to take little cheap shots at one another and, you know, just kind of have this back and forth and, and not actually get to the heart of what's concerning people. And, and you're right. I mean, there is, I think there is an anger out there that is palpable because not only are the consequences of this issue and the lack of action on this issue very serious in terms of, as I said, thousands of people dead from fentanyl, um, billions of dollars laundered in real estate and in casinos, and the role that that played in in disconnecting the housing market from local economic conditions. I mean, there, there's all of that at play. But it, there, there's also this. There's anger that there seems to be two sets of rules in this province. One set of rules for the people wake up every morning, go and do the right thing, work hard, pay their taxes, raise their kids. And then another set of rules for people who are engaged in this behavior and apparently can do it with zero consequences. Because, I mean, think about this. In, in all the things that have happened over the last number of years, we haven't been able to produce a single person spending a single day in jail. We had that one case where there was an incredible amount of resources poured at it. There was uh, RCMP charges. It looks like we were finally on the cusp of having someone be held criminally accountable. And at the last second, the case collapses because uh, the Crown accidentally made a mistake and disclosed the identity of one of the uh, informants. And the whole thing collapses and the people responsible walk away laughing. This sends an absolutely horrible message to the rest of the world. And British Columbia is getting an absolutely terrible reputation as a dumping ground for the world's dirty money. And I think that's what really frustrates British Columbians. I would agree. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and for your emotion and candor on the issue. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Shane. Appreciate it. That's Porcoca Lumaire, Brad West, who, uh, as you heard there, has been extremely outspoken and blunt on his uh, feelings on money laundering. Uh, some good stuff there. Uh, thank you for tuning into the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks to my guest today. And that brings to an end today's edition of the Woodford Show. We'll see you again here on NL tomorrow. 106.7 Logan Lake, 98.1 Blue River, 97.5 Avola. From CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM. Local news now.